Hi, I'm Raoul Powell, CEO and co-founder of Real Vision. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans and Balaji, I'll be on stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd to the 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Link in the description. Thanks. What's in store for 2024? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tommy Thornton, founder of Hedge Fund Telemetry. Hey there, Tommy. Hey, Maggie. How are you? Doing okay. How are you? Uh, good. Good. Just trying to, you know, get to the end of the year. No. It's been uh, quite a, a year. I, I will say from my own personal view, it's been very humbling. It's not easy as a long, short manager uh, to navigate this, especially when um, you really just haven't... Uh, embrace the magnificent seven. So it's been, uh, it's been humbling. I will say that. Yeah. Um, for a lot of people, Tommy, I mean, I've so many, I can't, I, Brian and I have lost count of the amount of people have come on here and just say, it is one of the hardest macro environments, one of the hardest trading environments, um, they've seen. Um, and we're going to touch, I want to touch on that a little bit more as we kind of head into tw- the, the new year, because I feel like those kind of reflections are important as everybody kind of resets, but let's touch base first on what happened today. Stocks finally hit an air pocket, the S&P and NASDAQ down over 1%. In fact, it looks like we were, yeah, selling into the close. So 1.5 for NASDAQ down percent-wise, same with S&P, Dow down 1.7. Funny, Russell down 1.3, like had outsized gains on the way up, but kind of keeping pace. Even the VIX is moving, which has been dead in the water, up 9%, but still at 13. Um, I, I just guess this was bound to happen, right? Yeah, I I think so. And, you know, from the backdrop of what I've been seeing in the last uh, few weeks uh, developing, uh, we've had market sentiment uh, go back up to extreme levels. And and I'll just go back to October. Uh, We were at market sentiment levels that were pretty depressed. I was expecting and hoping for some sort of capitulation type downside push. And I think I was on Real Vision around then. Uh, and I I did not capture the full upside move. Actually, I was caught short on a lot of things. Mm. Um, it happens, uh, not the end of the world here. But I think now we have market sentiment at extreme high levels with the data that I look at. Uh, we have almost every technical indicator extreme on the upside. You look at every RSI on the market, uh, markets, stocks, sectors, you name it, uh, it's been very, very extended. And I also look at DeMarc indicators and we've had a lot of exhaustion signals. And you know, we had really good exhaustion signals on the S&P only one time this year. And that was towards, I think that was July. And we saw the market come back, um, fall off a bit. And then um, we had a buy signal that wasn't the full signal that I wanted, but it was a buy signal in late October. And now we have, and I didn't expect it, across the board, sell signals on almost every index in the market. The S&P is on day 12 of 13, so we're Mm. close. 
And when I see that many signals occurring at the same time, it gives me a lot more confidence that we will see a pullback. And I'm not sure what the pullback will be if it's uh, something that like we saw back in you know the end of 2021, we had very similar setup uh, with all the sell signals with DeMarc. We didn't just have daily timeframe sell signals. We had weekly timeframe sell signals, which we have again on the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P is very, very close. We could have that next week. So we could have uh, something that's rather interesting going into 2024. Uh, one thing also that we just were mentioning, um, we had three really big earnings reports in the last week. We had Oracle, Adobe, and last night we had FedEx. And those stocks got murdered after yeah, FedEx hours. Yeah, smoked today, right? Yeah, and I, I, I got one right. I was short this um, uh, into the number and covered it. Uh, I take the gains when you can. But I got lucky with that one. And I think that is it's sort of indicative that we're perhaps bubbled up and the bar is very high for earnings going into Q4 earnings that will be starting in a few weeks. So I think that's a risk. Again, I think the the Fed with all the liquidity injections from the Fed and the Treasury, and I'm, I'm sure you've had a lot of people that talked about the plumbing and the liquidity injections. So I'm not going to reiterate that, but that could be coming towards an end the run here. Which is super interesting. And we get people who are, have some different opinions on that liquidity too, which we'll continue to sort of go over um, as we go into the new year. So, you know, there's one thing about sort of setting up, I feel like so many people feel it's overextended, right? And there's a, you know, a setup for a pullback. Does this feel like just one of those sort of profit-taking pullbacks, Tommy, and a consider consolidation? Or does it feel like what we went through a lot in 23, which was sort of, you know, mean reverting all the way back. We'd have these run-ups on expectations of things changing in a Fed pivot, and then we'd have a reversal in rates and a, you know, really harsh pullback again. You know, we keep saying every day I say this, and it's true that it was sort of rocking one side of the boat to the other. Does it feel like it could be something like that? Or does this just feel like, I don't want to say a healthy consolidation, but, you know, the, the kind of pullback you'd expect to see? I, I will say with certainty, I don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I the reason I say that is it's one day. And, you know, look, the Bulls have had a great year. And one of the things that's really been interesting in the last five days, and I'm looking on one of my screens up there, is the Goldman Sachs most shorted basket was up 15% in the last five days. And the S&P was up about 2% in the last five days. It's actually... 11% and 1.2% now because of today's action. But you've squeezed a lot of shorts out of the market and the shorts have been very correlated with the Russell indices. So mm-hmm. I, a lot of people are like, oh, it's going to broaden out. Here's one of the problems that I have is it did broaden out and we have DeMarc sell signals in the equal weight indices, both the S&P, RSP and the NASDAQ 100, which is the QQQE, uh, those have DeMarc sell signals. So we have them just basically everywhere, as well as the NASDAQ and the S&P, as I mentioned, is closed. The Dow has one as well. That's the CNBC index. Um, I think we'll see a lot of Dow points on the downside uh, 
for those that know and laugh at that. That's uh, how I see it. Um, so I look, I, I don't know. We, follow through is always important. Um, mm-hmm. This could be a one hit wonder. There was a big put, put action, um, put by with the S&P um, that hit the market down. I don't know. It's, it's going to take some time. But when you do have the, that type of short squeeze, you lose the natural buyer. So when you do have, let's just say, some downside, there could be a vacuum a little bit lower because the natural buyer, when things go down, are the shorts. So if you have fewer shorts, you can go lower. So that's possibly what we saw today. I, look, I, I again, I've been so humbled by this market this year that um, I take each day one day at a time. And if it goes lower, I'm positioned for that. And... We'll see. I look again. I think it's very similar to what we saw at the end of 2021, and I think the Fed has still work to do. And I, I mean, I was Austin Goolsby spoke and pushed back on some mm-hmm. of what Powell said, and he's the biggest dove there is. And he was flummoxed. I mean, as if I'm saying that correctly, uh, <laughs> by the market's reaction. To this, and I yes. just want to say I don't get it. And I think the Fed, uh, yeah, okay, they're going to pivot. I've been thinking higher for longer. They're going to, you know, keep rates higher, and I still think that. But if the markets go down, I've said I've said this the last time I said it. The the Fed's going to cut rates if the markets go down um, significantly. Uh, if there's a liquidity event, or if there's some sort of geo macro war, terrorism, or something like that, that's how the Fed will pivot and cut rates. Talking about it uh, is one thing; doing it is another. And usually, when the Fed cuts rates, it's a cycle, and markets, equity markets, bond markets do well, but equity markets don't do so well. It's because earnings start to go down. Uh, there are other problems that there are happen. bad things happening. If they're, if yeah, they're and, on an easing cycle, it's because there are bad things happening. That is true. And we really haven't seen anything bad. The economy still shows everything looking great. Everybody's on the soft landing you know, boat. And if you go back in history, you'll look back. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll tweet out. Um, I have some snippets of every time the, the economists say a soft landing is ahead. From the 70s to the 80s to the, you know, Bernanke and his crew, soft landings ahead. It turned into a hard landing. And, and I've seen people say, well, it's going to be like 1994, 95. Well, maybe, but I doubt it because there's a whole different thing happening. And back then, the Fed pivoted and you also had Windows 95 and everybody logged onto the Internet and the Internet was the greatest technology, uh, t- technology innovation in our lifetime. It's going to be, it was bigger and will be bigger than AI. AI is cool, but I don't see, you know, my mom or your mom logging on saying, uh, I'm going to chat GBT to figure out something. It's not going to happen. It's going to be great for so many people, but it's not going to be the internet. So I don't think we're going to have the tailwind like we had then that really took us out of the recession, uh, actually out of the, gave us a soft landing and made Greenspan look like a genius. I just don't see that. I think it's going to be a hard landing. And when it happens, and I don't know when it's going to happen, uh, well, it'll be soft and then it gets harder. And that's 
the problem. I don't mean to, I mean, that sounded kind of odd, but yeah, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it generally happens that way. And I, I can't see the Fed saying, oh, yeah, we got this. And the unemployment rate is at 3.7%. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a market that's gone up on bad news. Oh, wow. You know, bad news and buy stocks because the Fed's going to pivot. Now we know what the Fed has said. They're going to cut rates probably in 2024. So is bad news now going to be perceived as bad and stocks go down on that? I mean, are people going to freak out when the unemployment rate goes up above 4%, 4.5%, maybe 5%? I think people then will start to hit the panic button and say, uh-oh, this could be a little bit worse. So everybody's cool with the soft landing right now. The markets are higher. It looks all okay. But I think things are going to happen. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, it's so interesting because I think you brought up two really, really important points. And and these will be points that people differ on and they debate and we're going to have to wait and see. But I think this is where the battle lines are going to be drawn and that is one whether this idea, I think what really took every, the reason everyone really took off after Powell spoke is because you're right. The Fed always is forced to ease because things are going bad, whether they know it and we don't know it or we all know it. That's usually the way it goes. Powell introduced this idea of preemptively easing to soft land. You know, like we're going to we're, we're not going to wait until we see the eyes of disaster. We're going to kind of start to I think that's what that's what sort of lit the fire under everyone, because that would be different, right? If that's the case, if they're trying to fine tune to that level, I mean, that means you think they can do it, which is a completely different conversation. But you just said something really important that, that the inner, that this AI is not the internet. There are people who think it, that it is. And that seems to be under one of the things underpinning this idea that we may have these gains in productivity that will allow for that for us to escape that sort of historical. So I think that's going to be really interesting because we just don't know, right? This is brand new. We just don't know. So that's yeah, it's going to be inflationary, really and yeah. and the internet was inflationary, and you had tons of jobs created because of the internet, and businesses because of the internet, and that that's how I see it. I think that there'll be jobs eliminated because of the AI functionality and that's technology. That's always what what's happened with technology. Jobs are eliminated. You have an, you know, we have iPhones and it's eliminated 15 different things that you used to have to carry around cameras, you know, computer, laptops, everything, phones. It's just all in one now. So that's how I see that. Um, yeah, I, I, Listen, I'm not negative on everything. I know I, I know everybody's like, oh my God, I just want to turn this off and blow my brains out. But I do think that like energy is starting to line up as long ideas again. I started buying energy stocks, the drillers and the typical ETFs that you'd buy. Started buying those. I my favorite place, actually, my favorite stock for next year is Alibaba. And I think China could mm. see. A, a, a bounce. I look. Alibaba trades at eight times earnings, and it reminds me of Meta a year ago when Meta was, you know, Jim Cramer was crying on TV that he got it wrong, and it was under a hundred dollars, and now it's three fifty. That was trading at nine times earnings, and I think Alibaba at eight times earnings, it has 
10 times the revenues today of when it went on its IPO and it's below its IPO price. And I know they're trying to do restructuring and I know that it's been Isn't absolutely Isn't that political killed. risk? Isn't that because of the political risk? Yeah, but I think that the, a lot of that is pretty much priced into it. Mm. And you probably have some tax loss selling going into the end of the year and they can't get, you know, and financial to go public and certain things like that. But I think people will come back into it and look at it from a value point of view. And if something possibly goes right with it, I think the stock would be over $100. And possibly, I'm just going to throw this out there, maybe it'll double this year. It's wow. 70-ish dollars. It just had a dividend come out today, next dividend. And I like FXI. And I haven't liked these. I've been really sort of negative on these for What's a while. FXI? FXI is like 23 today. I think I'm, I just can't see it on my screen. It's covered up by something. But it went, that went ex-dividend today and it paid, you know, it, it's paying, you know, a really pretty good dividend as well. So I'm, so it's, I'm cool is this buying the, these here. The, the iShares China large cap ETF? Yeah, yeah. And and I, I'm not necessarily, you know, pro-China or anything like that. I just think that these are mispriced and I think they can work higher. And that's that's basically it. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I, I just want to flag, you know, I'm always trying to sort of, I know we're all time crunch and we don't get a chance to watch everything on the platform. We've had a couple different people comment that they think that um, the stimulus coming from China, people get, are getting that wrong. They think they're stimulating more than people think. And that that could be a little bit of a, a different story. Um, Geo Chen was one of them. Brian, maybe you remember the other one, but we just had this conversation that's been been, been dripping out, um, Tommy, as a sort of under you know, maybe something the market's got wrong. So that's interesting that you like China as well. Um, I know there are a couple other stock, stocks you're looking at. Um, Want to ask you about steel because the last time you were on, you're focused on M&A, which is interesting. Um, yeah. Last time you mentioned steel and we had big developments recently in that. Yeah, U US Steel, last time I was on, I told everybody that was my largest holding in my fund. Uh, I was the first one out the door uh, the other day when they uh, were bought out. I sold it for over fifty dollars. I was pretty happy about that. I so I I bought this after the initial pop. I think my average was around thirty one dollars, and I, I was watching it in the twenties. And then it you know the, the Cleveland Cliffs came out and said that they wanted to buy them for thirty five dollars. I bought it. Um, told everybody else to buy it, and I bought more. It was maximum size, and um, I thought okay, hopefully it goes for forty dollars. It went for 55. I knew there would be antitrust um, with unions and everybody freaking out. So I told everybody, as soon as this, you know, there's an announcement, you sell it immediately. And um, I was very, very uh, pleased because I sold it at 50 rather than 40. And so that was a nice little uh, present um, in a year that, again, has been very humbling. So I was, I was happy that that succeeded. And I'm, I'm, I have other ideas that uh, like I'm also uh, long Paramount, and that one has been a mess. Um, oh gosh, and that, I think that that's one the never-ending fight, right? Isn't isn't Paramount? When you've been around so long, you forget what you you used to yeah, know. Yeah, it's, it's the Redstone, it's, right? Isn't that still? Yeah, it's the Redstone family, and someone's going to sue or something. And well, they're they're listen, I I. You know, Sumner Redstone was a real character. He used to call the um, Bear Stearns desk the media trader, who was a good friend of mine, every single day and say, who's selling my stock? You know, <laughs> he's, 
like th- that that anyone stores. would do that is just hilarious now yeah really and time gone so, by. but sherry redstone owns the 90 percent of the uh voting rights uh through her vehicle national amusements so there could be somebody buying that that's larry ellison's son um who might do that um i've heard other companies like it just came out warner brothers discovery may merge uh i look i think there's assets there that uh, are really worth probably double wow so you think this stock's gonna of, pop on news of a merger well we'll see i you know look it, it's it's a it's a little hairy because there's a lot of debt and you know when you dang drama at, yeah there's debt there's drama there's there's i mean there's the family it's a family business basically yeah. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Hi, I'm Raoul Powell, CEO and co-founder of Real Vision. Alongside brilliant minds like Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans and Balaji, I'll be on stage exploring the extraordinary potential of AI and the profound change it represents, not just for financial markets, but also for the world as we know it. With over 5,000 attendees and over 150 side events, Singapore will become a vibrant hub for a full week from the 3rd to the 9th of June. Visit superai.com to register and join me with 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Link in the description. Thanks. I'm sure there's a million books on this. Like the, the amount of people that have been embroiled in that drama over the over the years, by the way, is just incredible. Like it's it's such a saga. There's a good think. there's a good book um about this about Viacom, Paramount, CBS uh that was written by G- uh, the New York Times reporter uh James Stewart and yeah. I f- forgot it's, what it was. I think Les Moonves was like at war with her forever, right? I think Well, he, I mean, he he's a whole nother thing. Or the um, kettle of fish. Um his, you know, his, I just want to mention son, while you're talking his son about son used to go to school with my daughter. Oh, really? And he used to tell my daughter, you know, if you want more, ask less. You know, that was the whole thing, you know. So I love that one. Yeah. What a gem. And he, he um, was on the love boat too. He was an actor before he was a studio executive. He was on the love boat. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. I did not Let's know that. Became, you youngsters uh, out there may not know what the love boat was, but hopefully hopefully TikTok has has drug it up out of the of the depths. It's probably <laughs> on some sort of compilation, as is everything on TikTok. Um, by the way, I just want to point out. Um, for those of you who follow Scott Galloway, Paramount, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I'm, I'm, I don't even know, I can't remember, but, um, media mergers on his radar for 2024 as well. And Paramount was one of the names he talked about. I don't know what his thought was about it. So I'm not saying that he is bullish Paramount. I'm just saying that he sees Paramount involved in some of the merger activity that's going to happen in media too. So you're, you're right on it. Yeah. Look, the problem is they could, it could be, you know, they merge with Warner Brothers Discovery and it's a one plus one equals one. But I do think that they're going to have to sell assets. And if they sell assets, that will increase the share price. So that might be the the way it goes. Look, you have Larry Ellison's son, uh, David Ellison, who's a media, uh, a film executive that wants the studio. <clears throat> we'll see what happens there. You know, you remember you, Warren Buffett is the largest shareholder of, of Paramount. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm I'm dying here. Uh, we, so I, that's I like, something to watch. Metaphorically, physically, we all feel exactly that way, Tom. It's like get me longest, to the end of the year, please. The longest year, the longest week. Um, we have some questions coming in, and they're really good ones. But before we get to them, I just want to take a moment 
and thank and acknowledge the amazing community we have. This audience is so smart, so engaged, so generous about sharing knowledge with each other. I'm looking at the chat now. In addition to the really smart questions, there are people who are swapping all kinds of information about things that happened in the market today and some of the background on what Tom's talking about, which is just amazing. I mean, Raul talks all the time about the power of the network. And a great example of that is Christopher, who's just talking about options expirations from two o'clock today. He's in the chat daily dropping this kind of stuff. He's a very experienced trader. We had him do an academy session a few months back. Some of you may have seen it. And it was so good that Roger wanted him to sit back down and have a one-on-one with him. We want to play you a little snippet of that conversation. When I first arrived on, on Wall Street, I started trading options over the counter options with a firm called Ragnar. And Ragnar was was Sparandio's firm. He'd gone from being the king of the order clerks to having his own little firm. And there they would rip your eyeballs out going in and going out. I mean, it was an over-the-counter market. It was just dreadful. But um, so I was trading options long before the Chicago board existed. And then the the futures finally got listed in 1982. And since I was kind of known as the futures guy, the head of our firm then, Ace Greenberg, was very friendly with Leo Melamed. And Leo Melamed was the head of the Mercantile Exchange. And he was basically the father of modern futures, both currency futures and, uh, and um, index futures. And so he said, you guys should do the first trade. I mean, that's so amazing. It's just a tiny little snippet of his incredible story. I love the rip your eyeballs out. I guess that's certainly what it what probably is exactly like. But there's so much wisdom gained for the decades of experience and having a front row to those kind of market evolutions, the creation of new products. Thank you, Christopher, for sharing it with us every day. You can see that whole interview on our platform. Just go to realvision.com. If you are not a member, you can go there and sign up. But Tommy, you you are a longtime experienced trader too. And I hear it through your voice when you're talking, first of all, so honestly about being humbled by what happened, but you learn from that, right? You make adjustments. You think about how you're doing that and you always protect yourself, which is how you live to fight another day. Um, which is why we're having these conversations about what you're focused on next. Yeah, I mean, listen, it, it, I had a I had a fantastic year last year. Uh, the year before was great. This year has been, you know, I'm going to call it a flat year. Um, you know, that's disappointing because um, I have very high expectations of myself, and it, it's okay. I don't, you know, beat myself up over it too much. But, you know, you move on and there's a new trade ahead of you. And that's kind of how you have to look at it. Um, that's exactly right. And you got to and you got to live to be able to put that trade on, which is something we talk about all the time in the academy, how not to blow yourself up. Um, and we're going to focus on that again. January, I'm going to I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this, but it's education months. So we're going to be doing a lot on that. Lena had a question. A lot of people chimed in on what a good question it was. Why? Tom, why did Tom's DeMarc signals work so well in 2022, to your point? with up over 50% and not necessarily this year? It's, um, it's actually pretty simple. Um, you had seven stocks lead the market higher and and skewed, didn't skew the, um, I mean, everything in, in 2022, including the mega cap stocks, the NASDAQ, they all sort of correlated together. And you had, I think four or five really good uh, buying opportunities and market sentiment uh, worked with it. <clears throat> so I just was able to, you know, sell rips and buy buy dips. And <clears throat> this year it just hasn't, uh, it just hasn't uh, been that easy. Uh, I, and I'm, you know, and I, I admit, you know, look, and 
the, the seven stocks, um, you know, the, those were just so uncorrelated with with everything else. I mean, I, you know, when you have the the spy up twenty two percent and the the equal weight up half that nine percent, it's it's there's a big spread in between there. So um, yeah, it, it's just I didn't I didn't get the rhythm. Uh, I didn't get the pullbacks. And normally you get you know three or four really pretty good pullbacks. Mm that uh, just didn't come and they were just very shallow with some of those, those large cap names. And I, I, you know, I, I moved forward. It did this, it did a similar thing in 2021. Um, not as extreme, but uh, you know, look, if you go back and you look at the, the 2023 leaders, they're up 103% this year, equal weight. I'm just looking at my screen here and they were down 48% last year. So if you go year over year, you know, they're not up that much, but that's equal weight. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's one way of looking at it, but, uh, yeah, I, I, the first one to admit it and I'm not going to, I don't chase, uh, stocks. That's just not my, my strategy. Well, again, because you have a strategy, which is really important. Otherwise, yeah, you're I, just I, I look for things that are low and trouble. like I'm, I've been buying energy, you know, I, in June, Remember, nobody liked energy at the, in the middle of June. I was on, and I was saying I was starting to buy energy, and mm-hmm. I rode that into the, you know, the August or September, and you know, took a twenty percent gain and said thanks. And uh, you know, I look for ideas like that, and you just can't, you can't fit everything you do into every market, and that's the the way I I, I look at things and. Um, you know, you have strengths. I, I just, I know my strengths and uh, mm-hmm. this was a year that just didn't uh, mesh with my strengths. And I think 2024 will. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing, know what kind of trader you are, because that gives you incredible insight, um, which is another part of the module we do in the academy. AJ asking, so would a hard landing scenario be a great buying opportunity? The broadness of that makes me nervous, but how are you, because you do think there's going to be a hard landing right now, right, Tom? So how are does that look like a buying opportunity? I'm sure you have to be a little bit more strategic than that, but well, you know, the the there's there's a few things. If if we do have a hard landing, we're probably going to have a year like we had last year, where we had, you know, these moves down, and then you had bounces, and then you you move, you know that that happened, and you go back into any larger correction period, and usually have between five and ten moves down, bounce, move down, bounce. And that's generally uh, my strength. So yeah, when we get to that hard landing bottom, uh, you're not going to see people that are going to be interested in buying stocks. And that was one thing that really sort of threw me off uh, in October is is we really just had way too many people uh, after a market was pulling back that were just over eager to buy stocks. And so at the bottoms, the true bottoms, uh, nobody wants to buy stocks. I've been there and um, I've been very lonely as a buyer at that, at those periods. Yeah. That takes a lot of fortitude. Uh, Tommy, amazing conversation as always. We just love catching up with you. We love the fact that you're thinking outside the box and that you're always honest with yourself and everybody who's listening. Just fantastic. A lot of experience and wisdom behind that. So thank you so much. Well, thank you and uh, happy holidays and uh, Merry Christmas and happy new year to everyone at Real Vision and all the viewers. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll see you in 2024.
Absolutely. We can't wait to catch up with you on that side. Thanks, everybody. We will continue uh, tomorrow. Um, If I don't see you, because this is my last one, have a wonderful, wonderful holiday. We have a lot of amazing stuff lined up for you. Even though I won't be here, we won't be here for part of it. We have a lot of great content. um, So you're going to want to check it out and take the time to catch up on some of this awesome interviews that are on the platform. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Good luck out there. 